Living Stones is our discipleship pathway we use to bring people to faith, grow people in the faith and their life, and how we raise up new leaders. 1 Peter 2.5 You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. We are exploring the first zone of discipleship, the camp, where a person learns to live reconciled with other people. There are six steps in this area. The third is accountability, where I succeed by building trust with God and others. Accountability is illustrated by the person of Reuben. I've personally never met anyone who wanted to fail. I've met people who were willing to try and perhaps fail. I've met people who have failed, but never anyone with a goal of failure. I want to succeed. Even if I don't win, I want to make a praiseworthy effort, but I plan on winning. Accountability is the pathway to success. Accountability, earning trust, becoming a person of integrity that can be counted on as a way of achieving success is different than some of our, our cultural ideas which say, I achieve what I want by taking it. I'm all for people having initiative, but success by climbing over other people is not the only path. It's just the loneliest path. The other path to success is being a person that others want to see succeed. Philippians 2, 3, and 4 says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility consider others as more important than yourselves. Everyone should look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. The Apostle Paul is not saying to neglect what is good for me, but to remember that what is good for me might be to do good for someone else. Being self-centered is never the best plan for my personal success. Accountability to God and others is the difference between me doing whatever I think is best for me to succeed, regardless of the consequences for other people, and me having other people around me saying, we want to help you succeed because what is good for you is good for all of us. I hope this is the relationship I have with everyone in my church congregation and community. I didn't come to Heartwood Church to build my resume or get a book deal or make more money. I came here to shepherd the church, shepherd the community, and make disciples. If I succeed in that, we all succeed. So I'm not aware of anyone who's hoping I mess something up. Over time, we've learned to trust that we all are trying to do what God would want, not just what's good for me or good for you. A good method of building trust is having accountability in relationships. If I were always hiding what I'm doing and why I'm doing it, I don't give people a reason to trust me. But when I bring people in on my desires, plans, and actions, we can evaluate those things together to decide if what I want or what you want is what God wants. Jacob's son, Reuben, is all about what he wants. And because of that, nobody trusts him. Because nobody trusts him, he cannot succeed. Jacob's blessing of Reuben is in Genesis 49, 3 and 4, and it's a rebuke. Genesis 49, 3 and 4. Reuben, you are my firstborn, my strength, and the firstfruits of my vitality, of my virility, excelling in prominence, excelling in power, turbulent as water, you will not excel because you got into your father's bed and you defiled it. 
he got into my bed. There are two parts to this blessing. First, Jacob acknowledges who Reuben is, his firstborn son, the eldest, most respected and the strongest. Yet despite his power, he will not succeed because he is not trustworthy. He defiled his father's bed. Reuben is like his brothers, Simeon and Levi, those who we thought should have followed Proverbs 14:12. There's a way that seems right to a person, but in the end, the way it is the way to death. Reuben was not accountable to his father, to his brothers, to his wife, nor to God. And so his actions, or sometimes inaction, often went astray. Reuben comes up with his own plans based on personal desire and ambition and doesn't check his plans with anyone else. This lack of accountability leads him to disobedience, foolishness, and failure. Reuben trusts only himself, not God, to get to the firstborn position of inheritance and blessing. But it's only God that can move a person to the firstborn position. I found three areas of accountability that if Reuben would have used, he would have found success. First is personal accountability. As I said, Reuben is the oldest son of Jacob. Thus, Reuben's expectation is to be the firstborn, the son who receives the greatest inheritance, blessing, and promise. Reuben, as the eldest son of the first wife, Leah, believes this, is, this right is naturally his. But he does not take into account what his father thinks or what God thinks. Jacob presumes that Joseph will be the firstborn. Joseph is the eldest son of Rachel, the wife Jacob loved. Neither Reuben nor Jacob have consulted God. The firstborn would expect to take both responsibility and possession of the majority of his father's possessions. This would include the father's wives and concubines. While a son would be expected to care for his mother, the wives, concubines are different being not as low as a slave, but not as high as a wife. Concubines might be younger than the wife or wives. It's perfectly normal in this culture for the son or heir to take the concubines as his own. We see this from King Saul to King David and from King David to Absalom. The defilement of the father's bed mentioned in the blessing is recorded in Genesis 35, 21 and 22. Reuben takes some of his presumed inheritance early. He slept with his father's concubine, Billa. Billa is Rachel's servant, one of Jacob's concubines, and mother of Dan and Ephtali, two of Reuben's brothers. Reuben formed and executed his own plan for his inheritance. He just figured he could take it or be sneaky enough to get away with it. Jacob finds out about Reuben's relationship with Billa, and Reuben loses his father's trust. Trust makes life less stressful. I don't worry about cheating on my wife or my wife cheating on me. We trust each other to keep our marriage covenant. But that doesn't mean I don't do things to ensure that trust. My wife knows my schedule. It's up on Google Calendar for her to see. She knows when I might be at the church alone with a woman, and depending on the woman, we together decide if a third person needs to be there. She can get on my computer. She can look on my phone. We hold each other accountable. I almost call this first point sexual accountability because that's one of the biggest ways people lose trust, just as Reuben did with his father. But it's not the only way. I found a couple of lists where people rated their areas of spiritual challenge. 
The first list is an older list from Discipleship Journal. People listed one, materialism, two, pride, three, self-centeredness, four, laziness, tied for fifth, anger or bitterness, and sexual lust, seven was envy, eight, gluttony, nine, lying. Although maybe not in that order, those are all still things that I can use accountability for, and those are sins listed in the Bible. Another more recent list of accountability areas came from Waterloo, Iowa Catholic Faith Formation. One, atheism, ignoring that God exists in my life and would and world every day, or living with spirituality instead of belief. Two, polarization, living in or perpetuating a divided community instead of being a peacemaker. Related to polarization is three, ideologies, living as a liberal or conservative instead of a follower of Jesus. Four, sexuality, living with either frigid sexuality or irresponsible sexuality instead of healthy sexuality, which is both chaste and passionate. Five, spiritual and mental shallowness, not going deep in prayer and self-examination. Six, restlessness, the inability to be still but having to be constantly stimulated. Seven, paranoia, motivated by fear and overprotection instead of love and clarity. Eight, loneliness, to be surrounded by people or voices but never confiding in anyone. Nine, justice, the struggle to link my faith to the social issues of my time, which include but are not limited to racial injustice, violence, the environment, sexual expression, and poverty. And ten, community, the struggle to find the healthy line between individuality and community. A person who has accountability in those ten areas is likely to have my trust. But that's a tough list, isn't it? That's why, even though we're calling this personal accountability, all accountability, excuse me, all accountability presumes that I'm engaged with someone else and we're working through strengthening our weak areas together. Accountability over time builds trust. Trust leads to success. Accountability is the pathway to success. For success, I need personal accountability and second, business accountability. Business accountability is my dealings with other people. Another word for it is integrity. In Genesis 37, 19-30, we have the story of Joseph being captured by his brothers. All the brothers always jockey for position in the family, and Joseph, with his coat of many colors, is obviously Jacob's favorite. Joseph has been spouting off about his dreams that his whole family will bow down to him, and his brothers have had enough. They catch him. And want to kill him. Reuben begins to look out for himself under the guise of helping everyone. Genesis 37, 21 and 22 says, When Reuben heard this, he tried to save him from them. He said, Let's not take his life. Reuben also said to them, Don't shed blood. Throw him into this pit in the wilderness, but don't lay a hand on him, intending to rescue him from them and return him to his father. This seems like a smart move. Reuben knows that if Joseph dies, not only will his father be devastated, but that also won't help his movement to the firstborn, because Benjamin, Rachel's second son, will be Jacob's next choice. Reuben also knows that there is a blood guilt associated with killing someone. He doesn't want that blood guilt, so he makes the proposition to his brothers. Hey, we don't want the blood guilt of killing someone. If we're caught then we're under a death sentence. 
Let's put him in a pit. Then we can say, when we left him, he was alive. We're giving him a chance. But he'll probably die by starvation, thirst, by a wild animal, or by drowning. Either way, we didn't actually hurt him. The third part of Reuben's plan is to sneak back at night to rescue Joseph and return him to their father. Saving Joseph won't make Reuben the firstborn, but it might make him number two. He'd be ahead of Benjamin and perhaps earn back some trust from his father. The problem with Reuben's plan is Jacob is not the only person who doesn't trust Reuben. None of Reuben's brothers trust him. While Reuben is away, Judah comes up with the idea to sell Joseph to slave traders instead of killing him. They don't have to kill Joseph, and they make some money. Genesis 37, 29-30 says, When Reuben returned to the pit and saw that Joseph was not there, he tore his clothes. It's a sign of grief. He went back to his brothers and said, The boy is gone. What am I going to do? Reuben is more concerned about himself than Joseph. And all the brothers said, Aha! I knew you were going to betray us. That's why we did this behind your back. Actually, that line's not from the Bible. That's just what I think happened. Reuben trusts only himself and is accountable to no one but himself. So nobody trusts him. Not his father, not his brothers. So no one will help him succeed. Reuben is certainly not trusting in God to become the firstborn. And God is also not allowing him to succeed. Reuben had his own plan, but instead of going to his father, or simply defending Joseph, or appealing to God, he trusted his own sneakiness, and again it didn't work out. Reuben does feel guilty over this because later in Genesis 42:22, when the brothers come before Joseph in Egypt, he blames all their troubles on what they did to Joseph. But Reuben replied, didn't I tell you not to harm the boy? But you wouldn't listen. Now we must account for his blood. While Reuben is not entirely wrong in his statement, notice he doesn't take any blame himself. I told you not to harm him. You didn't listen. Now I have to pay the price along with you and give an account for his blood. It's their fault he's in this mess. Next month, Amazon founder Jeff Bezos is planning to fly into space on a Blue Origin rocket ship. Since he announced the flight, two petitions on change.org came up requesting that Jeff Bezos stay in space and not return to Earth. There are over 100,000 signatures and the tally is growing at a rate sometimes as high as a signature per second. As far as I know, Jeff Bezos is not an evil man. But why would people want him to leave the planet and not come back? Perhaps some people are envious of him. Perhaps some don't like how he gets rich, maybe off the backs of his employees. Ultimately, though, I think people might just be a little suspicious of Bezos, just as Reuben's brothers were suspicious of him. Obviously, Jeff Bezos wants to make money, but what is his ultimate agenda for getting into space? I don't know what he's up to. And I certainly wouldn't want him making decisions that affect me. My dealings with other people need accountability if I'm to succeed. But the endeavor I'm looking to succeed in needs equal accountability. Business accountability is for how I deal with others and why I deal with others. 
I do have an agenda with everyone, but it's not to enrich or pleasure myself. My agenda is to bring people closer to Jesus. This is why the accountability living stone has two parts. The first part is I'm not giving in to my own temptations. And the second part is I'm engaging in the work that God calls me to do, which is foremost making disciples. Accountability for what I should not do and accountability for what I should be doing. If in accountability, um, in those both two areas, that earns the trust of others, and I'm more likely to have success as I go about God's business. Accountability over time builds trust, and trust leads to success. Accountability is the pathway to success. For accountability, I need personal accountability, business accountability, and family accountability. Family accountability could be rolled into business accountability because it's me acting in a trusting way with other people. But the Bible specifically calls out family as special, as needing to be managed well, and for there to be interactions of love. Because of this, I'm also calling out family accountability as unique. And Reuben also illustrates this accountability, and he fails in it. In Genesis 42:33-38, when the brothers have to return to Egypt to buy more food, they can't come back without Benjamin. However, Jacob is not easily persuaded to give up his youngest son. Verse 36, their father Jacob said to them, It's me that you make childless. Joseph is gone and Simeon is gone. Now you want to take Benjamin. Everything happens to me. But they need to return to Egypt to buy food or starve. Reuben comes up with his own plan. Verse 37, then Reuben said to his father, You can kill my two sons if I don't bring him back to you. Put him in my care and I will return him to you. This is the dumbest plan Reuben has ever had. Jacob is grieving the death of Joseph and Simeon and is giving the offer of holding his own grandchildren as hostage and killing them if Reuben doesn't bring back Benjamin. If Benjamin doesn't come back from Egypt, Jacob loses a third son and two grandchildren. Reuben, this is why nobody trusts you. Did you check this plan? Who did you check this plan with? I don't read anywhere that Reuben ran this plan by his wife. Honey, what do you think of me putting the lives of our children on the line? Now his wife probably doesn't trust him either, and his father trusts him less. And if I need any person on my side to succeed, it better be my wife. Jacob naturally rejects Reuben's plan. It's a selfish plan. It's a plan not approved by God. There's only one time when a person offered the life of their son in exchange for the lives of others, and it worked out. Even then, the son had to die. The son exchanged was Jesus. Matthew 20, 27 and 28. And whoever wants to be the first among you must be your slave, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Robert Schuller, in his book Homemade, wrote this. This is a quote. One problem I remember was a time when our son Bob broke our trust and lied to his mother and me. He was still young, dating Linda, his wife-to-be, and was only allowed to see her on certain nights. Well, one night he wanted to see her without permission and told us he was at a friend's house. When we found out the truth, there was a real scene between us. He had violated our trust. It was like a crack in a fine cup that marred its appearance. 
In the confrontation, I smashed a fine English teacup on the floor and told Bob that to restore our trust would be like gluing that cup back together again. He said, I don't know if I can do that. And I said, well, that's how hard it is to build confidence and trust again. The outcome was that Bob spent literally weeks carefully gluing the pieces together until he, he finished. He learned a very important lesson, end quote. Trust is hard to gain, easy to lose, and very difficult to get back, especially in a family. Family is where the default should be to have trust. That is why it is damaging when a husband betrays a wife or a mother hurts a child or a child lies to their father. One of the best ways to get family accountability is to be open to suggestions from your family. A man I respect a lot talked to his adult sons one evening. He said, I did my best as a father, but is there anything I could have done better? He asked this for several reasons. One, if he needed to ask for forgiveness for anything he wasn't aware of, he now would have the opportunity. Two, he wanted to be an even better grandfather than he was a father. And three, as he taught younger men in the church, he wanted to teach them his good qualities, not his bad. His sons gave him honest feedback, which he accepted and applied to his life. That interaction got me thinking that there is no need to wait until my children are grown to ask them what they might need from me as a father. I shouldn't wait until my 25th anniversary to ask my wife how to be a better husband. That is, if I want to make it to 25 years. The Apostle Paul makes family accountability a requirement for church leadership. 1 Timothy 3, 4 and 5. He must manage his own household competently and have his children under control with all dignity. If anyone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he take care of God's church? So the church is another place where we can find family accountability. Family is one place that for sure those around me want me to succeed because that's good for us all. Perhaps our society has lost the idea of accountability because we confuse love with permissiveness. But it's not love when I fail to lead another follower of Jesus from disobedience. Just as it's not love for me to give a drink to an alcoholic or fail to take matches away from a baby. True fellowship out of love for one another demands accountability. Accountability is so important that in some churches it's a sacrament. The sacrament of confession based on John 5.16 and 1 John 1.9. Accountability over time builds trust. Trust leads to success. Accountability is the pathway to success. Once a month, I take lunch to my friends who work at the Nature Center. There was a month when I had set up a lunch appointment and forgot about it. I neglected to put it on my calendar, and I didn't remember until the following day. I called and apologized for leaving them hungry. And they all said, it's fine. I brought them a surprise lunch the next week. When my friend said it was okay that I forgot lunch, I questioned how much trust they actually have in me. I don't know for sure if it was okay because they're not yet confident that I will show up every time so they always have a backup plan or they are so confident that I will always show that they knew there must have been a good reason why I didn't make it that one time. I hope it's the second reason because if they trust me with their meals, they can start to trust me more in friendship. 
if they trust me more with friendship, I can talk to them about how I trust Jesus with my life and invite them to do the same. That's accountability over time, building trust. Trust leads to success. Accountability is the pathway to success. And that's the accountability living stone. Reuben was blessed with strength, but lost preeminence due to a lack of accountability. A disciple attains a red jasper stone upon learning to overcome temptations, which for us is participating in a band meeting, and doing the work God calls me to do, which is foremost making disciples, which for us is engaging in a disciple-making community. Our prayer today is taken from Psalm 130. Let's pray. Out of the depths I call to you, Lord. Listen to my voice. Let your ears be attentive to my cry for help. Lord, if you kept an account of iniquities, Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness, so that you may be revered. I wait for the Lord and put my hope in his word. For there is faithful love with the Lord, and with him there is redemption in abundance. And he will redeem his people from all its errors. Lord, we thank you for the forgiveness and power to walk away from disobedience. We thank you for the tools you give us to succeed, each other. May we rely on each other just as we rely on your spirit. May we sharpen each other as iron sharpens iron and exhort one another to love and good deeds so that we can be obedient children, a righteous family, and make disciples as you command. Amen. Now go forth and live as disciples, serving God with your whole being, knowing that you are empowered by the Holy Spirit to do great exploits in God's name.